Chronicles chapter 20. <laughs> You're commanded to love me. <laughs> Today we're going to minister on a subject that I started out ministering to our youth a couple weeks back. And that's what to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Glory to God. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. <laughs> Teenagers think they know what I'm going to talk about. Y'all know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. Notice it says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company to come up against us. Then it says, Neither know we what? We what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. Now, we have all faced situations and circumstances in our lives where our brain has just went tilt. Come on, say amen, somebody. I'm talking about situations where you just don't see an immediate answer and perhaps can't see any way, shape, or fashion out of this thing. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now, we're going to read from the Old Testament today, but I want you to keep in mind that you don't throw away the Old Testament. You need the Old Testament. Matter of fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. That's what I'm teaching our Pistis Bible School students. And all the Pistis students say, Amen. Amen. That you don't throw away the Old Testament. There's a lot of valuable information in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, talking about the Old Testament, verse 1. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be what? Ignorant. How did all our fathers were under a cloud and all passed through the sea? This all took place where? In the Old Testament. And were baptized unto Moses in a cloud and in the sea. What's Paul doing? Paul's referring to events that happened in the Old Testament, and he did that throughout his ministry. Look at verse 6. He said, now these things were our what? Are what? Examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lust. In other words, the Old Testament gives us examples of what not to do. Come on. So we don't have the same faith as the children of Israel when they did something stupid. Look at verse 11. It says, now all these things happen unto them for what? And samples or examples. And they are written for our what? Admonition, which means caution, warning, reprimand, rebuke, and advice. That's what the word admonition means. It means caution, warning, reprimand, rebuke, and advice, amen, upon whom the ends of the world are come. In other words, God said, I gave you the Old Testament so that you could see what happened when people were faced with certain situations. See, what they did, good or bad, which is why the Old Testament, in the, in the Old Testament, you have some really good things. 
but you also have some extreme bad things. For those of you that have read the Old Testament, come on, say amen, somebody. And see, we get to learn from these things. We get to learn about God through these things. But we also get to learn about mankind because everything we see today in our time, we can find it in the Old Testament. You can find somebody who faced it, somebody who dealt with it, and you can see what they did, and then you can see whether or not they went God's way or a different way. Amen? We can see what happened to you, but you can see what happened. So it says here it's for our what? Admonition, which is for our what? Caution, warning, reprimand, rebuke, and advice. So going back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, once again, we've seen where it says, neither know we what to do. Verse 12, neither know we what to do. See, there are people in this room right now who are dealing with the scenario that we're talking about today. They're in a situation where they don't know what to do. But you know, that's how good God is. He loves you so much that he have a man or woman of God minister a word just to you, even if you're the only one in the room, or if everybody else is in the room, he'll talk specifically to you about a situation. Why? Because he loves you. Tell your neighbor, God loves me. Tell your neighbor, God loves you too, but not as much as me. <laughs> so what we're going to do, we're going to walk through the text. And understand this, if it doesn't fit you today, I'm telling you right now, one day it will. So go back to 2 Chronicles, look at verse 1 now, chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 1. And it reads, it came to pass after this also, that the children or the armies should be 20 verse 1 back there in, in screen. The trill children or armies of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites came against who? Came against who? Jehoshaphat to battle. Now Jehoshaphat is the king of southern Israel, Judah. And it's indicating a time frame by which this happened by mentioning the king. What's he doing? He's telling us this is during the reign of Jehoshaphat. Then in verse 2 it says, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be the Hazazotamar, whatever his name is, which is Ingenai. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And all these armies coming against him. Now, understand this. When you have three armies coming against you, this is a life and death scenario. Come on, am I right or wrong? Why? Because the purpose for these three armies is coming to conquer you and in some cases annihilate you. And that's what you see with ISIL today. And all these other groups out here. Come on, say amen, somebody. They're coming to what? They're coming to pillage. They're coming to plunder. They're coming to rape. They're coming to steal. And they're coming to kill. So these are three armies against one. So if they don't win this battle, they're going to die, and they're going to die horribly. 
They will have to watch their wives and daughters get raped in front of them, folks. Come on, are you listening to me out here? They will watch their sons slashed and beheaded and burned alive. Why? Because the kind of barbaric, barbaric behavior that you're seeing in the Old Testament, don't you, know, don't you know we see it today? Right now? So I want you to understand that this scenario is not just some Bible story. And you'll find throughout history, this kind of behavior has been going on throughout all mankind. Are you with me out there? All the way back to Genesis up to today. And there's a constant in the earth, and that is men trying to conquer men. To have power over other men. And they're willing to do to other men the most heinous acts imaginable, folks. There's nothing that they won't do, folks. Let me say it again. There's nothing. Come on, you see it now. You wouldn't see the stuff to do. They're beheading people on TV and broadcasting it and making their family watch. Come on, say. And then people are standing around cheering it on. Kids cheering it on. So they're willing to do the most heinous acts imaginable. Amen. There's no depravity. There's no death or torture that they will not utilize. Why? Because understand this. If they're not born again, they're filled with the devil. Let me say it again. If they're not born again, they're what? Filled with the devil. Matter of fact, look at John 10, 10. What did Jesus say the thief comes to do? He says what? The thief cometh, but for to what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. And they will destroy you utterly, folks. See, it's not enough just to take your territory. It's not enough just to take your territory. That's why you must defend yourself against these type of people. And you must do it spiritually. And if you read scripturally, God had them do it spiritually and naturally. Matter of fact, what does Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 8 say? Turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8. It reads, a time to what? A time to what? Hate. And a time of what? A time of war and a time of peace. Now, some people have a hard time understanding this. Because why? What they don't understand, that in the earth... Men, including me, and including you, are not always able to operate totally by the Spirit. Have you ever did anything out of the Spirit? I won't do an altar call. You can raise your hand. Come on, say amen, somebody. Matter of fact, there was a debate years ago where people were saying, if Jesus heal you, if he heals you, then why do you need medical insurance? And there was a split in the body of Christ, and anyone who had medical insurance, they called them compromisers. And this was preached from the pulpits. And you had a number of people die as a result. 
Now, some of us try to listen to the Holy Spirit every day. But sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss it. Be acting like y'all holier than thou. But what does 1 Corinthians 13, 12 say? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says, for now we see through a what? Glass what? Darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now there will come a time, there will come a time where you know, but for now sometimes you see through the glass darkly. One thing about it, you know more today than you knew 10 or 20, 30 years ago, though. Why? Because you develop over time. And I thank God that he has at all levels a way for us to win. Oh, come on. Say amen, somebody. Say, God wants me to win. Tell your neighbor, God wants me to win. Why? Because what's important is winning. Let me say it again. What's important is what? Winning. So you have to understand that all of us are under construction. We're all still developing. No one is perfect in this room, including me. I'm not getting a lot of amens out here. I told you. I'm about to have an altar call in a minute. <laughs> amen. So what we got to do, we have to take the pressure off each other because every one of us are at different stages of growth. Because you got delivered in an area don't mean somebody else got delivered in that same area. So stop looking down on people because they made a mistake. Because at one time you made the same mistake. And there's some, I bet if I watched you, there's some other mistakes that you're making that they're not even making. Come on, I'm preaching good in here. Now go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. Because here is a dangerous situation. Because men are coming to pillage, they're coming to plunder, they're coming to rape, they're coming to steal, and they're coming to kill. So in verse 3, and it says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to do what? To seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He's the king now. And he set himself to do what? Seek the Lord and proclaim a what? Fast throughout all Judah. Now, when you look at the word fear here, it says he feared, he what? He feared, he feared. The word feared can, be mean, can, can mean being afraid of what somebody can do or, what some, or, what's, or, what, or something that could happen to you, that fear. Or the word fear can be reverence. Somebody say reverence. Well, here, the word fear means Jehoshaphat reverence something. Somebody say he reverenced something. See, reverence came to him rather than a pure out-of-the-mind fear. And that reverence prompted him to do what? To set himself. To do what? Seek the Lord and do what? Proclaim a fast throughout what? All of Judah. Now, if you read the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't say a lot about fasting. 
Most of the information you get about fasting is found in the Old Testament. And the reason for that is people in the Old Testament were not born again. I'll say it again. The people in the Old Testament were not born again. So God had to deal with them according to their flesh. He dealt with them with outward signs, and God allowed them to have fleeces. But in the New Testament, the New Testament, the Lord will not allow you to operate with a fleece. And you know what a fleece is. Lord, if you let dew be on one side and dry on the other, or Lord, if you shake them curtains five times, <laughs> I know it's you. Or Lord, if it's your will, let the door be open. And if it's not, let it be closed. That's not how you're supposed to be led. Why? Because Satan can open and he can close some doors. And Satan can shake some curtains. Because that's not how you're supposed to be led. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 tells us how we're supposed to be led. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The Bible tells us, for as many as are, by who? By the Spirit of God. They are the what? Sons of God. So we're spirit-led because we're what? We're born again. How many born-again people do we have in this room? Well, in the Old Testament, they weren't born again. God dealt with them according to their faith. They still had faith. Amen. They had faith in his word. And, what, and they had faith in what he said because they heard the word of God. Come on, say amen, somebody. But they were not the same as we are today. What things we have today, it was hidden from them. Matter of fact, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. And that's what Paul was talking about. He said, back in the day, Things were hidden from them. It was a mystery. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Are you still with me out there? It says, even the mystery, which had been what? Hid from ages and from what? Generations, but now is made manifest to his what? Saints. See, today, we understand God can be in a man. And God can recreate a man. But for them, there was no such thing. Are you following me out here? So we're going to talk about things to do when you don't know what to do. And if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. You should be taking notes anyway because you're not going to remember everything I say. Amen. The first thing I want to tell you what to do is before you get into a situation like that, when you don't know what to do, especially if it's going to be serious, you want to be in a position where you know you are clean. Where you know you are clean. So if you got sin in your life, get rid of it. Stop it. I can get a big amen. So y'all probably on this altar call. If you got sin in your life, get rid of it. Amen. Stop it. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we what? 
if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to what? Cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. And then verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a what? Liar. And his word is not in us because why? He already seen what you've done. Come on. And he already sees what you're doing. Come on. Say amen, somebody. So you need to stop. Stop and don't go back and do it again. Why? Because you want to be in a clean position. Because if you're not in a clean position and then you get hit with something. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. Let me tell you about life. Things happen in life suddenly. I'm saying it again. Things happen in life suddenly. That seems like everything is fine and then bam. You get up and get a phone call. And wow, your whole world has changed in an instant and in a moment. Do you hear me? So you want to stay in a position, first of all, where you're in a clean position. In other words, there's no known sin in your life. I get a lot of amens here. <laughs> there's no known sin in your life. And if you've been coming here long enough, and you heard the word, you know what it is. <laughs> now, the second thing you do when you don't know what to do, we talked about this last week. We said, don't panic. Don't panic. Whether or not you lose control of your car, don't panic. Whether you're in an airplane and the plane goes up and down and because you, you hit some turbulence, don't panic. Come on. Whether or not something happens with your children or family member, don't panic. Whatever it is, you cannot panic in that situation. If you're confronted with a situation, don't what? Panic. So the first rule of the Bible is not to what? Panic. Stay calm. Tell your neighbor, stay calm. Listen to me now. Never make a decision out of these two things. Number one, never make a decision out of fear and never make a decision out of anger. Being real quiet over there. Never make a decision out of fear. Oh, y'all quiet too. <laughs> I'm trying to go back to never make a decision out of fear. And never make a decision out of anger. You got it. Why? If you make a decision because you're afraid or you're mad, it will always be the wrong decision. And there's always unintended consequences you end up bearing when you make a decision based on a notion. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Come on, I'm teaching you some things this morning. Philippians 4, 6. 
So what are those two things you never make a decision out of? Fear and anger. Let me just say that again. Fear and anger. Fear and anger. Because you know some angry people. And some of y'all still some angry people. I said some of y'all. I say all y'all. So shoe don't fit, don't put it on. But if shoe fit, put it on, tie it on tight. Hey, Amen. You never make a decision out of what? Because it'll always be the what? Amen. I think they got it. Hallelujah. Philippians 4, 6. It says, be what? Careful for nothing. The Greek word for careful is merimnio, and it means to be anxious, and it means to be troubled with cares. It says, be careful for nothing. The Greek word for nothing is medes, and it means not even one. Not even one. It's saying, don't allow anxiety to grab a hold of you, period. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication. We know that's definite request. With thanksgiving, let your what? Request be made known unto God. In other words, you have to know you are not alone in your situation. The Lord is on your side. What does Psalms 118.6 say? Psalms 118, verse 6. Psalms 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. <laughs> Some of y'all should be saying, Amen. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. Somebody say, the Lord is on my side. Come on, make a person say, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. Because what we're seeing, we're seeing Jehoshaphat as doing what we're saying right now. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, once again it says, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to do what? Seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. What's he do? He starts reverencing God and seeking him because why? He realizes he's not in this thing by himself. He realizes he's not in this by himself. We've got to pray for that side over there. He realizes he's not in this thing by himself. Yeah, be an example, because hey, I don't know what's wrong with them over there. Take <laughs> care, 
Amen. Amen. I said, you're not going to play Cain with them over there, right? (laughs) So he proclaimed the fast. Now, the reason for the fast, whether or not you're talking about in his day or even in our day, if you do fast for spiritual reasons, because there is a fasting for natural reasons. It is good to do that sometimes. I say this side ain't worth cooperating again. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to check their diet. Okay, come on. But if you're fasting for spiritual reasons, it's simply to give yourself more time and prayer and study of the word. Let me say it again. If you're fasting for spiritual reasons, it's simply to give yourself more time in prayer and study of the what? Word. So you can take that time that you would have been shopping for the meal, preparing the meal, eating the meal, or waiting on the chef to cook the meal. Come on, say amen, somebody. Then serve the meal. If you go out to eat, come on, say. Then the time you would have taken to recuperate after the meal. And we know Thanksgiving is coming up. You know, sometimes you feel you feel yourself so much you just said, okay, move. (laughs) Come on, say amen. So you gotta recuperate from the meal. Amen. And hopefully clean up. After the meal, see, all that time you save is extra time you could have spent by seeking the Lord. That's what fasting is all about. Fasting doesn't make you more spiritual in and of itself. Depriving yourself of food doesn't cause you to have a greater anointing. Let me say that again. Depriving yourself of food doesn't that cause you to have a greater anointing. What causes you to have a greater anointing is time you spent with God. You can fast until you're skinny and looking anorexic and just be, un- just, be just as unspiritual and unanointed. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hello? So it says, and Joseph had did what? Feared, and he set himself to do what? Seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout Judah, all Judah, verse 4. And Judah gathered themselves together, notice it says, to ask help of the Lord or to petition. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to do what? Seek the Lord. Now, the word ask here is the Hebrew word bakash. And it's spelled B-A-Q-A-S-H. And it means to search out by any method. It means to strive after. It means to seek, require, desire, exact. It means to inquire. In other words, they are inquiring of God and they are open to whatever methodology God wants to speak to them. See, 
we like to tell God the way we want it and the way we want him to speak to us. Lord, we want you to do it this way. Why? Because we can be very bossy at times. I know I don't have any bossy people in this room. I don't like the way they're looking over here. I know I don't have any bossy people in this room. <laughs> but we can be very bossy. And we'll even try to boss God. Lord, I need this job done. So I need you to speak to this person this way and touch and such this way. This is how I want it done. And we're nothing but a little dab of dirt. And we got the nerve to tell the creator what to do and how to do it. Dirt. Dirt. Come on. So the word ask here means to open ourselves to whatever. Open ourselves to whatever. Open ourselves to whatever the creator wants to do or how he wants to do it. Are you with me out here? In other words, don't put tunnel vision on God. Because God will do what? God will surprise you. And he will do things that you would have never thought of. That's the way to get it done. And it will be just what you needed at that moment. If you're open. Tell your neighbor, if you're open. But if you close yourself to the lanes that you can, that only you can imagine, how far your imagination can go is very slim concerning to how God's imagination can go. Amen. So don't limit yourself to just your imagination on how to get this thing done. Amen. Come on, are you with me out here? So look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the what? Before the what? New court or the outer court. Because nobody could go in the inner court. The outer court. They were at the outer court. So what did they do? They went to church. Oh, Lord. It's quieter here again. Church mouse going to clap for me. <laughs> They went to church. Jehoshaphat went to church to inquire. Jehoshaphat went to church to inquire. Not to his natural advisors. He didn't go to them. Why? Because kings had advisors, folks. Come on, he had all kinds of advisors for whatever happened, whatever happened in that nation, and, and he had contingency plans. He has people who have expertise in whatever he needs. Listen, even when I don't know what to do, I'll get someone who went to school for what, they, for what, I, what I don't know what to do. Amen. Amen. Come on, say amen, somebody. He didn't go to his advisors. He didn't go to his mama. He didn't go to his daddy. He didn't go to his cousins. He didn't go to his uncle. He didn't even go to his best friend. Come on, Ace Boon Coon. Come on, say amen, somebody. Where he went to get this information was to the house of God. 
To where? House of God. He's going to God. So he goes to the house of God. And that's what you need to do, folks. That's what you need to do. Listen, there have been plenty of times while sitting in the house of God, the answer came to me on what to do and how to do it. By sitting where? In the house of God. Sometimes you're not going to get the answers across the computer. You can't Google everything. Some of y'all got so dependent on Google. I'll just Google it. <laughs> Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. And if you're stuck on just watching the computer, you know, watching services on computer, come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. You're going to miss a lot of things. So you need to get your lazy self out from, I'm talking to y'all on the line right now. You need to get your lazy self out from in front of the computer and find your way to the where? To the house of God where the anointing is fresh. Now, I'm not talking to people that have a reason for watching the computer because why? They may be bed, bed fast. But if you don't have a legitimate reason, you should be here. Why? Because there is no substitute for being here live. There's no substitute for being an anointing, folks. You cannot, even in early morning prayer, there is no substitute. For being an early morning prayer, live. Okay, amen. Hallelujah. See, so you got quiet again. <laughs> One thing about me and my wife. Whenever we go to a meeting, we've learned, amen, we always want to sit in front. We never sat in the back in anywhere we went. Why? We found out it seems like the anointing is stronger in the front. And we are anointing junkies. Come on, when we go to Kennel Copa meetings or any meeting, if the doors open at 7, we're there at 5. In the cold. In the cold. And we're not by ourselves. We got to beat people to the door at 5 o'clock. Because there's some other people just like us that are anointing junkies. And you want to be as close to the anointing as you can. Come on, say amen, somebody. Come on. We never sat in the back. Never. 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> Never. Always sit in the front. I mean, we used to fight to get to the front row. That's my wife. We used to get there, and, you know, she used to be there. Like, they, they, used, to, they used to laugh at my wife because 
she, she, she'd have a stack of books. Because we, we, you know, when we go to meetings, our friends, they know we're going to be there early. <laughs> so we get up there and we be like, it's like shoving cars. We go, <laughs> to get all the seats. <laughs> so they, they come moseying in and we just look at them. We get up at 5 o'clock and y'all come in here at 7 o'clock. But they know us. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. Why? Because we like the anointing. Amen. You got to get to the point where you are anointing junkie. Amen. Come on. Look at verse 6. Notice he said, and said. And what? And said. Now, he said, the, the, his, he said part is extremely important. He what? He said. Now, you know the teaching you get in this church, right? And the teaching you get from the word of God. Am I right or wrong? We know words are exceptionally important. Why? Because words carry faith and words carry fear. Words carry love and words carry hate. Come on. Words set the tone and words is what causes people to move. Words is what even causes angels or devils to move. And words are, the, words are what move the hand of God, but also words move the hand of Satan. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. Words are vitally important. Tell your neighbor, words are vitally important. Matter of fact, two words alter the trajectory of a married couple. Two words alter that man or woman's life. Those words is, I do. And how they got there was three words. I love you. <laughs> they were what? Words. They were what? So let's see what this man's about to say. Why? Because his life is on the line. And his family's life is on the line. And the nation's life is on the line. What is he going to say? He says, O oh Lord, God our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and ruleth not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God? Somebody say, our God. Who did it drive out the inhabitants of his land before thy people Israel and gave it, gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? All of these words are significant because why? This is Abraham's seed he's talking. Come on, he's Abraham's seed. And it says in verse 8, And they that dwell therein have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence. For thy name is where? In this house. And cry unto thee in our affliction. And then thou wilt hear and help. Notice the things he said first. First of all, he went back to historically what he knew from what he had been taught in his synagogue. 
He went back and he referenced who God is. He said, God, the world is yours, and there's nobody big enough to handle you. Then he goes on to say, and you are my God. Some of y'all need to say, you are my God. See, you have to make Psalms 23.1 personal. Go on, turn there. She so had to read it like this. The Lord, I, I put myself in there because I make it personal. The Lord is Ron's shepherd. Ron shall not want. He maketh Ron to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth Ron beside still waters. He restores Ron's soul. He leadeth Ron in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah, though Ron walked through the valley of the shadow of death, Ron will fear no evil. For thou art with Ron, because he loves some Ron. Come on, say amen, somebody. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort Ron. Thou prepared for table before Ron in the presence of his enemies. And thou anointed Ron's head with what? Oil, where Ron's cup runneth over. Surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow Ron all the days of his life, and Ron will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. You got to make this thing personal. Our God. And that's what Joseph is doing. He's saying, you are our God. You are my God. Come on, say amen, somebody. So go back to 2 Corinthians 27. He's also saying something else. He's also saying something else. He said, they don't know you. They don't know you. They don't have a covenant we have. They don't have the covenant we have with you. We know he's saying that because in verse 7, he says, art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people and gave it to the seed of who? Abraham, thy friend, for how long? Forever. That was the Abrahamic covenant. They said, listen, we are Abraham's seed. Well, Galatians 3.29 says, if you be Christ, Galatians 3.29, if you be, then are you what? Then are you what? Abraham's seed and heirs according to the same promise. Say amen, somebody. Then in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 8, he says, And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying. In other words, we built this sanctuary for you. And you told us in the past. What's he doing? He's going to the word, folks. Tell your he's going to the word. He's not going by what he feels. He's not going to what he thinks or even what his advisors say. He's going to what the word says because why? The word settles the issue. Let me say it again. The word settles the what? Issue. The Bible is God speaking to you. And the first place you go when you don't know what to do is you go to the book that tells you what has happened and what will happen. 
Why? Because it's in the book. Tell your neighbor it's in the book. Matter of fact, you look at verse 9, he's even speaking to the future. Look at verse 9. And if when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or, or famine, in other words, if armies come and try to take us down, if famine, sickness, or disease comes against us, we will stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is where? In this house. And then he says, if we do our part and cry unto thee in our affliction. In other words, he said, if we come to you first. If we come to you first. Then thou wilt hear and help. He didn't say you might hear. When you have time, you may hear us. He said you will hear and you will help. You said it. I believe it. I'm doing my part. Now, God, do yours. Come on, he's coming straight with us, folks. He doesn't have time to be messing around. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. When you're in a situation that's life and death, you don't have time for pleasantries. And you don't have time to be politically correct. Oh, am I preaching good in here? Amen. You don't have time to be nice to everybody because why? You're about to die. They're about to cut your throat and kill your family. So you better stand up and do what you got to do right now. Somebody say it right now. Well, why does he do this? Well, turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. Why does he do this? Isaiah 43, 25. Now, what he said wasn't outlandish, and he wasn't being disrespectful. He wasn't being disrespectful because of what God says. And we know it. We've seen the scripture before. God had told the children of Israel what they are to do. And here in verse 25, Isaiah 43, 25, he says what? I, even I, am what? He that blotteth out thy what? Transgression for whose sake? For my own sake and will not remember thy sins. God said, I blot out your sins for my sake, not yours. I blot out your sins for my sake, not yours. Because why? God wants to deal with you. And some of you think God don't want to do or have anything to do with me. That's not true. God wants everything to do with you. There's not a human being that God doesn't want. Let me say it again. There's not a human being that God doesn't want. He wants every single one of you. Come on, say amen, somebody. Tell your neighbor, he wants you. So he said, I'll do it for my own sake and will not remember your sins. And if God says he won't remember your sins, that means you need to forget about them too. After you repent. <laughs> Come on. After you what? Repent. Then you leave them alone and let the past be the past. Then he says in verse 26, put me in remembrance. And that's what Jehoshaphat was doing. He's reminding God of what he says. And it says, let us what? Plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest what? Be justified. Open your mouth. He says, stand up for your rights. And then God said, let's do it together. 
God says, you come and make your case. Come and make your case. When Jehoshaphat made his case, listen, it wasn't crying. Oh, Lord, please. No. Jehoshaphat was a man who knew his rights. He was a man who knew he has a covenant. Come on, say amen, somebody. A man who knows what it says, and he's now taking a position. He's standing before God, reminding him of what he said. And God likes it when you do that. Come on, why? Because that's showing real confidence that you have in him. One other thing before we close. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to what? Profession or confession of our faith without what? Wavering, for he is what? Faithful that promise, or you can say he's trustworthy. He's what? He's trustworthy. In other words, God can be trusted, folks. If he said it, that's what he means. If he said it, that's what he will do. If you can find out what he said, and they spent time, they spent time in fasting, they spent time in praying, they, they spent time in searching the scriptures. Because we know obviously he searched the scriptures because why? That's why he's talking the way he's talking. Come on, he's at the temple searching the scriptures. He's finding out. And that's what you need to do. You need to search the scriptures. You need to put the cell phone down. You need to put the cell phone down. Get off Facebook. And all the other social media, come on, say amen, somebody. And you need to do what? Search the scriptures. You don't need to be talking to everybody asking them, what do you think about it? Why? Because you don't want their opinion. Why? Because their opinion is no better than yours. They did not make the world. Let me say it again. They did not make the world. Now, they may have created the mess that they're in, but they didn't make any world. Come on, say amen, somebody. They don't know any more than you know. Not only that, they don't know all that you know. <laughs> Matter of fact, they know less than what you know. Matter of fact, they only know what you told them. <laughs> and what you told them was one-sided. So you want to do what? You want to go to the scriptures. But I don't know the scriptures. That's your fault. That's your fault. And that's why you come to church to learn. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. And I hope when you do leave the church, that's not the last time the Bible gets opened until next Sunday. 
all are preaching good in here. Come on, say amen, somebody. That means you go home when you open your Bible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday morning. Then you come to church and hear the word again. Why? Because you want to find out what God said about my situation. Lift your hands and give God praise. <laughs> come on, lift your hands and give God glory. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. We magnify you, O Lord. For you are worthy. You're worthy of the praise. You're worthy of the glory. You're worthy of the honor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to worship God. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. God is on your side, folks. He will hear and he will help. He will hear. And he will help you. He will hear. And he will help. God is on your side. Hallelujah. So you never run from God. When you're in a situation. You always run to God because he's your only help he's the only one that knows how to get out your situation I don't care how many books you read I don't care how many advisors you go to you better go to the all knowing God because he knows everything and stop depending on on your little peanut-sized brain when you got the source of everything right there who knows everything. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we 